The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. This is our first show of 2017, and it's actually a pretty big deal. I feel like I should have bells and whistles and emojis and um, confetti in the air, but this is actually our 100th episode. So um, I'm hoping all of you will stay tuned. We're going to have details a little bit later in the show about a special celebration. Um, I wrote package, but that's not what I meant. A special celebration with contest. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to share the details a little bit later in the show. Um, so what we're going to be talking about today, well, first of all, um, the spring bills for colleges are due. And um, I know for some people, this can be a challenge because they may not actually have the money to pay. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, what the options are if you find yourself in that situation. And then during our office hours segment, uh, one of the things we've started to see, we see it all the time, but I don't know, this time of year when early decisions are coming in, uh, and people are getting decisions which sometimes make them unhappy, I seem to find that um, the rumor mill really swings into action. And we're seeing a lot of rumors flying around, and we thought today we could talk a little bit about what are some of those rumors that you might be hearing, how do you separate fact from fiction, um, and sort of not fall prey to that rumor mill. But before we get to all of that, one of the things we've been doing a lot lately are answering listener questions. Um, so a lot of those questions we can answer in a couple of minutes, but sometimes we get a question in that we think, first of all, sometimes we get a question in that I think, well, we'll need a few months for that one, so we probably won't answer that. And then other times um, I feel like, you know, this is really probably a good segment idea. Let's spend a little bit more time exploring that. Um, and today is one of those days. So I'm super excited to welcome my colleague, um, who happens to be a former Reed admissions officer and my co-host, so someone you hear from on a regular basis, Ian Fisher, um, to the show. Hey, Ian. Hey, Beth. I didn't realize that this was uh, the 100th show. That's it great. Is, I, I mean, it's, it's gone so fast. I can't believe that we already are at the century mark. I know. We've done. I know. It's great. In it is pretty exciting. In February, we'll actually will have been on the air for two full years. So about a month from today, it'll be two years that we've been doing the show, which doesn't seem possible for many different reasons, but no, it is. No, not at all. It's been great. It's been great, and, <laughs> yeah. and I've really enjoyed hosting and, and coming on as a guest. So yeah, I'm me. super excited. Absolutely. I love having you on as a guest, and we don't get to do this enough because you do host. Right. Um, so... The question that made me kind of pause and say, you know, I really feel like this could be more of a segment than just a quick answer um, was one that came in. I'll read 
one version of the question. I feel like we get the question a lot. And the question is, can an average student get into a top tier school? Um, And, you know, it's difficult to answer because there are so many different variables in this one question, right? What is an average kid? What does that mean? What is a top tier college? What does that mean? So I guess, why don't we start with, um, I mean, I think I know what they're going at, but why don't we dig a little bit more deeply into kind of each element of this? And so I guess your, my first question for you, um, or the first thing I'm hoping you and I can kind of talk about is, you know, what is, what does it mean? What does top tier mean? And I, you know, I have my thoughts. I'd love to get yours and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah. I think the same thing with me, like whenever somebody asks a question like that, it just, my response is, what do they mean by average? What do they mean by top tier? We've got to sort of break yep. down these, these definitions. Um, and when someone says top tier, what that really suggests to me is that we're talking about um, a system like rankings or an outside reputation of a school because tiers are almost necessarily numeric, right? We would sort of assign value to schools that are at the very top, and then we would have a second tier and a third tier and on down. And that's usually done through some sort of criteria where we're valuing certain aspects of an experience over another. So when somebody says, can my kid get into a top tier school? For me, I start thinking about schools that are really highly selective, places like the Ivies or Stanford, MIT, Caltech, both kinds of places are what I think of when somebody asks me a question like that. Um, When somebody asks me, can my kid get into a good school? That's totally different. That's like, well, what do we think good is? You know, what kinds of things are we looking for? And I don't automatically go to those institutions because those schools don't have a monopoly on a good educational and social experience. So, you know, the, the tier for me, and I don't know if this is true for you, but for me it really triggers that sense of the most selective, or those schools that have the, sort of the best reputation within this field. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, when I hear top tier, I immediately go to exactly the schools that you were mentioning. And, um, and again, then when we talk about what is average, I guess when I think of average, I think of a kid who is typically not competitive at a top tier, if we're going to use that definition of top tier school. So the short answer to this question is probably not. I mean, right. these applicant pools yeah. are filled with extraordinary students who've accomplished quite a lot already in their lives. Um, And on a very basic level, they're top kids. They are, you know, typically straight A's with really great test scores and they're doing interesting things outside of the classroom and their teachers love them and write glowing letters of recommendation. So if we're going to say that average is not that, then the answer is, you know, probably not. An average kid is not necessarily getting into a top tier college, but um, right. I think, you know, what probably be, I like your thought, which is a better question to ask is, can my kid get into a good college? And now let's talk about what's a good college, right? What does that right. mean? Because the other thing too, is that the, the, the thing I always want people to understand is one person's reach is another person's safety. And one person's dream is a college that someone else wouldn't even consider. And not necessarily because it's not exclusive enough, but because it doesn't make sense for that student, right? So what do yeah. you say when someone says, can my kid get into a good college? Well, I, first of all, 
Well, so you know that I, I studied philosophy in college, and so whenever somebody says that to me, I sort of take a step back and say, well, what, what's your definition of good? Like, I want to yep. really break that down and, and understand what they're saying when they say good college. Um, and usually the response from a parent or from a student is, I, you know, I just want a really, I want an interesting educational experience that can give me opportunities after I graduate so that, so that I can be self-sufficient and be successful, whatever their de- definition of success is going to be. And when, if that is what we're thinking about when we think about a good college, there are hundreds, hundreds of colleges that fit that kind of description. And for any given student, the objective now isn't, you know, how do I get into a top-tier school, but instead, how do I find the seven to ten colleges that are going to be the best fit for me? Understanding that there are hundreds of good schools out there, where do I find the ones that are the best fit for me? And, and that's really where that definition of, of good comes in for an individual student, is, is understanding what's the experience that's going to be most likely to bring out my best and make me right. most successful. Is that a small campus, a big campus? Do I want lots of opportunities outside of the classroom? You know, things like that. So, so I always sort of, the definition of, I think, a good college is different for every single kid that I talk to. Um, yep. and, and getting at what that's going to be for each student is, is a long process and requires a lot of reflection. Um, and, and that's part of what we do when we have these conversations with, with students over the course of, of many months as they work through this process. Right. And I think, you know, again, the the perfect fit schools, you know, we recommend sort of a balanced list of maybe a couple of reaches, a couple of matches and a couple of safeties. But for some students, they could have the perfect fit could be a safety. And one thing that I probably find more frustrating than maybe anything else that I do in this role um, of helping families in this process is when Kids and parents, and I would say sometimes parents are even more guilty of this, but not always, um, immediately sort of denigrate the school that's the safety. And it's this idea that I've come back to again and again that if they want me, they can't be any good. When did that become like the best way to go about this process? Like, oh, no, I'm going to – one of my very favorite students that I worked with, and this is many, many years ago – um, she had a nice list of colleges, and she had her reaches and her matches and her safeties. And um, for a variety of reasons, one of her safeties just emerged as her top choice. And what I always really respected about her and her parents is that no one said, well, she applied early decision even to the safety, which she you know, didn't need to do. She was going to get in regardless of when she applied. But she just said, you know, I love this school. It's where I want to be. I'm ready to commit. I don't see any reason to wait. And um, no one had a problem with the fact that this was a safety. This was a school that ought, that we knew was going to want her. And she never regretted the choice. She attended and had a great time. And um, I just, I really respected that. And so one of the things I'm hoping we can encourage people to do as part of this conversation is really be thoughtful about what feels right rather than what sticker is going to look good on the back of the car and what am I comfortable telling people, right? Um, yeah, exactly. I, mean, I, I always used to tell students that a really great exercise is to think about where you would go if you could never tell anybody where you went to college. So mm-hmm. strip away all of the external assessment of, of where you're going and telling your friends at school in your senior year and 
a bumper sticker and think about mm-hmm. where would you just like to be. Um, mm-hmm. And if that happens to be a place that also has a certain kind of reputation, great. But, you know, let's get away from it's in the Ivy League and instead talk about what are the academic programs that you're really excited by that aren't available elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had the same experience as you on the list. I think that that's, you know, that's an important thing. I We give these great, really thoughtful lists to our students that we work with, um, and we give them their no-problem schools and their just rights and their challenging. And almost always you find that students sort of flip to the bottom of the list to find out what the challenging schools are as opposed yep. to looking at what are my no-problems and my just rights. And this comes back to that question of average you know, mm-hmm. if we talk about an average kid nationwide, that's one thing. But if we talk about average in the context of these admissions schools, that's kind of another question, right? So if you're mm-hmm. average for the kinds of students that are getting into certain schools, then you've got a really great shot of getting in. And that's where the sort of target idea, your, your just right schools really comes into play, that you are, have a profile that is consistent with the kind of student that is getting in. And you want to find that the match of that kind of profile as you're building your college list. Um, with an idea of what you want out of your experience. And I think that's such a good point because the fact of the matter is that an average kid applying to the most selective schools is averages usually straight A's, right? And then exactly. there are other schools where the average kid might actually be straight C's. So it, that definition of average, and then we're not even talking about rigor of the curriculum and how that plays into things. And ultimately the it's just really impossible to answer this question, which is why we're doing a segment on it. And so right. anytime that you're tempted to ask this very general question, I think you really have to um, just dial it back, look more closely at your specific student and mm. recognize what he or she has accomplished and focus on that and what they want to study when they get to college. And if you do those things, I think everyone is ultimately going to be happier because you're not going to be chasing something that isn't achievable and you're going to be focusing on the things that really do matter at the end of the day. Um, the right. sticker is nice, but it's not the experience that you're going to have when you get there. Yeah. You know, the other thing about average is that it almost necessarily is connected to, to numbers, right? So when we would say a kid is average, we're usually talking about grades and testing, but there are probably things about your students that are way above average. Maybe your mm-hmm. kid is a phenomenal writer. Maybe your kid is really great at engaging with the community and serving the community. Um, maybe your kid is really good at creative problem solving, right? Things that are not necessarily measured by numbers. And so there are things that your student does that are average, things that they do that are below average, things they do are above average. And you want to find a school that's going to help them you know, sort of supplement the things that are their weaknesses, but also really give them an opportunity to cultivate their strengths. Um, And if you've got a super creative, bright kid who's not necessarily as good in school as the other kids that are at the top of the class, let's let's go out and find some colleges that are going to match that kind of ability because that's going to really be a way for your your kid to thrive. So don't just think my kid's average because he's got to be GPA. Think what are the things that he's really good at and how can I find a school that's going to, make the most out of those things. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to say about this topic before we sort of um, sign off on this one. Um, I think, um, you know, I think 
that at the end of the day, the underlying message here, and, and sometimes I've gotten this question on a call with a family and the student is mm-hmm. part of the call. And I always feel like, geez, I, I, I'm, it makes me very uncomfortable when a parent calls their kid average. And right. I appreciate that the, what the parent is trying to say is, hey, we're, you know, um, sometimes what they're trying to say is, hey, we're not shooting for those, um, you know, top, top schools. You know, my son is average. Or sometimes they're trying to say, well, he's only average. How can you help him achieve that, you know, sort of top, top? So in some cases, the average is more pejorative than in the other. But either way, right. who likes to be thought of as average? You know, you don't have to. I think your definition of um, or what you're saying is that all of us are in, you know, some ways above average, some ways fairly average and other ways below average. And and those things are all fine. And sometimes we fixate a little too much on the really what we mean is below average often um, when we when we start doing this process. And that's not really useful for anyone. Yeah. One thing that I think it might be really helpful is try not to define your college process by what you're not looking at. And this is something that I often get on these calls that we have is, you know, a parent might start by saying, we're not looking at Ivy's because he's not going to be competitive. Well, so what? I mean, we don't have to even mention the Ivy's in this conversation. Let's talk about what he is looking at. Let's talk about where he wants to go. So, you know, whenever we sort of, I think we give in this process too much credit to the top tier schools as though they're where everybody would go if they could get in. But not everybody's going to have a great experience at those kinds of schools. And so instead of defining your process by where you're not competitive, let's start define the process by what you're really excited to explore um, and find out what kinds of schools fit that model. And I think that that's going to really empower your kids more to be excited by this process and to think, well, I can't get into the best schools, so here's what I'm looking at. It's all in how you frame the conversation. Um, and yeah. if you go back, actually, to our show two weeks ago with Brooke Camarda, who was the the transfer student um, that talked about her process, she felt so much better when she went through a process where she got into more schools, and that was just a matter of shaping our list. So really great experience and advice there, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then actually this summer, back in July, um, Karen Crowley, our former colleague, came on, and she and I did a segment talking about, you know, can I, you know, how do I evaluate my own chances at some of those top tier schools? So even if you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, I still think my child might have a shot or I still wonder if my child has a shot, that might be a good one um, to listen to because I think there's a lot of um, helpful insight there. Ian, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Of course, Beth. Happy to be on this side and good luck with the rest of the show. And congratulations to you on 100. Uh, thanks for, yeah. for leading that, that way on that. Yeah. It's very, very exciting, and thanks to you, too, because you had a hand in all of those shows. Um, Okay, we're going to go to break, and after the break, we're going to... The spring college bill is due, and you can't pay. What do you do? Uh, So come right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Um, So before the break, I promised that we would talk a little bit about what happens if you've gotten the bill for the spring semester of college, and you don't actually have the money to pay. Uh, And so here to offer some insight, because as I have said many times before, I know enough to be dangerous on the finance side, but certainly not enough to be helpful. Um, I'm excited to welcome my colleague and former Rochester Institute of Technology and Menlo College financial aid officers, among a few other places, um, Tara Piantanita Kelly. She's going to help us understand these options. So Tara, thanks for joining us. Oh, gosh, it's my pleasure. So you heard the, the, the problem, right? You've got the bill in hand, and you can't pay it. So right. what options, if any, do families have if they find themselves in this situation? Oh, that's a, this, these were my worst days when I was a financial aid director. I, uh, I was the, the most uncomfortable, unpleasant part of my job was when a, a student or a family came to me and said, you know, I can't pay my bill. What can I do? And, you know, it, it, it's a pickle. It, it really is. It's a, it's a challenge. So I would say, well, um, you know, let's, let's take a look at all of our resources. What, if, you know, have you maxed out your student loan eligibility? Can, you know, is there any additional loans that you can borrow to, to get you through this, um, this problem? Um, 
you know, we at the school, do we have any loans that you might be able to borrow? You know, uh, Perkins, federal Perkins loan, do we have a, you know, is there any private loans that you might be able to borrow? Um, and then, you know, if they're like, nope, I, I'm, I'm maxed out all of my loan eligibility, um, then I'm like, well, have you checked with the business office, the, you know, student accounts office or bursar's office, the ones that actually take your payment and see if maybe you can make a payment plan? You know, is there a way that you can make a payment plan for that? So the the whole gist is what can we do to keep the student from from leaving? Because that is you know if it can't if the bill can't be paid and there's no way around it, that's what's going to happen. The student is going to leave school. They're either going to withdraw or they're going to take a leave. But regardless, it's not going to be pleasant. So trying to right. find different ways to to come up with you know, that uh, you know some money to alleviate that. It was always, you know, the, the number one goal, but it, it didn't always happen. Yeah, I mean, one thing, so our, this show, it's January 5th. Um, actually, for some college students, they actually haven't gone back to school yet. So there might mm-hmm. be a possibility if they've been working over the holidays and um, right now, is it pos- they might earn at least a little bit of money, right, that they could put to that. Um, are there other things that students can think about doing? Um, you know, uh, the problem for a lot of students is they're actually physically living on campus. Are there things that they can do to get around that and, and maybe save some money and put that towards the bill? Absolutely, yeah. There's there's uh, all sorts of things that, that we could do. So, you know, our our first goal was okay. How can how can we get you some more money? If we can't get you any more money, how can we reduce the bill in other ways? And one of the ways that they could do that is to move off campus. If that would cause, you know, if if that would be a cheaper option. Sometimes it is. Yep. Sometimes it isn't. Like moving off campus if you're in Boston or, or New York City, probably not going to save you any money. But right. you know, if if but if you can reduce the bill by moving off campus or, or moving back home, is the student within commuting distance? That could be a huge cost savings. Um, you know, or, or sometimes I would say, well, I see that you're enrolled full-time, so you're incurring full-time tuition costs. Um, you can get the same amount of you know, federal student loan money if you drop down to half-time. So your, your tuition costs would be cut in half, but you'd still have the same amount of, of you know, federal student loans to cover it. So that could be a cost savings as well. It's certainly not the perfect answer right. because, of course, that's just going to extend. But, but you know, when, when you're looking at, you know, the student is looking at you like, how, what can you do to help me stay here? You're going to look, look at, you know, all sorts of different things. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, that is the thing. If, if it's really just at that point, right, it's the immediate, oh, my goodness, I can't pay this bill. Um, and to your right. point, if you end up doing part-time, it does mean that you're now extending your time on campus, but you know, maybe there's money that's going to be coming in, or maybe you can really work really hard over the summer and um, you can supplement and put some money aside so that you don't face this issue again, and then maybe you can take a few more credits um, in a given semester right. and kind of make that time up. So. Right. It's not a perfect right. solution, but it is at least something that means you're not actually leaving school, which can be good. Um, right. What Absolutely. Ab- what about um, when a student, if maybe the issue is the student has lost financial aid eligibility, um, maybe because they didn't do so well, is there any, are there any, um, you know, options if that happens? Yeah, absolutely. This, this, we would get uh, a, a 
group of students every term that would lose eligibility because they either dropped classes or they failed classes or for whatever reason they weren't making what we call satisfactory academic progress toward the completion of their degree and they would lose their eligibility mid-year and they would be like, oh my God, I have my student loans coming in and I have to tell them you're not eligible for your student loans because you have lost your eligibility. Um, so there are, oftentimes a student will be able to appeal that and uh, there's an appeal process at many schools where they say, look, yes, I, I had an issue this particular term and this is why I didn't do well, but if you give me one more term, I can turn it around and make it up. And so absolutely that should be the, the very first thing. If the student is unable to pay because they've lost eligibility due to satisfactory academic progress, asking the school uh, if they can appeal that decision for one term um, is absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, and and I think that for some time, for some students, for some families, it seems to me like the answer to this question is, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do nothing. Um, I would guess that that might be the worst thing you can do, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that. That is absolutely the worst thing you can do. Um, if you're if you're proactive, if you look and you say, I know this is a problem now, let's let's face it head on. Um, absolutely, the school will you know it it will try and work with you in whatever way they can. But if the deadline to pay the bill comes and goes and the student is in classes just praying that they don't get kicked out of classes and kicked out of their dorm and their meal card isn't turned off, you know, that's not going to be good for anybody. So um, being proactive is absolutely the, the best thing you can do. Also, because schools have a, a refund period, meaning, you know, it, let's say the student enrolls in classes in November for the upcoming spring term, that's when they incur their tuition bill. You know, okay, you're enrolling in classes for the spring term, this is how much you owe for the spring term for tuition. Um, if the student drops all of those classes before the first day of class, that bill goes away entirely. If they wait until, you know, sometime later in the school's withdrawal period, refund period, then and, and then withdraw, then they could still owe a portion of that tuition because the school would say, hey, you know, you didn't withdraw during the, the 100% refund time. So now, even though you're withdrawing now, you still owe us money for the spring term. Right. So, yeah, abso absolutely being proactive and, and getting in front of the problem is the best thing you can do. Right, because in that scenario you just described, now you are paying money for nothing. You are owing, you owe money, and you're going to get nothing out of it. And that is the absolute worst case scenario. You might think, and I think a lot of times families feel like the worst case scenario is having to leave school, but really the worst case scenario is if you wait too long and then you owe money and now you're getting nothing out of it, no credits, you couldn't finish your classes or in some cases couldn't even take any classes, you wind up leaving school anyway, but now you owe money. Um, uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, leaving school ideally is not going to be permanent, right? It's going to be temporary. And if you at least leave school without any, without owing them anything, then you could take a look at your options. Maybe you do need to transfer to a less expensive school. Um, maybe you do need to take a year, work, earn some more money, and as a family, get the finances together so that you don't find yourself in this situation again. But if you just kind of stick your head in the sand and ignore it, now you're really compounding the problem and you just, just don't do that, please. Yeah. Please don't, don't do, do that. that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and to make matters worse, yeah, to make matters worse, if, if the student does that, let's say they bury their head in the sand and, you know, three or four weeks into the semester, they're, they say, they turn the meal card off, you're, they're kicked out of the dorm, they've been, they're de-enrolled in all of their classes, and now they owe a balance. If the student leaves owing a balance, that school can can put a academic hold or a, a hold on their academic transcripts. So, and what that means is that if the student does want to transfer some, somewhere else, the school is going to say, well, I'm not going to send your transcript from this school until you've paid our balance. And so right. it could be even more difficult to transfer to another school. Right, exactly. So don't do it. Um, don't do it. <laughs> exactly. You know, so, so what are some suggestions to ideally not ever find yourself in this situation. So you mentioned that there might be planning that you can do in advance. So what kind of planning um, can families do so that they don't wind up here? Oh, gosh. What what I always recommend is if if your kid is looking at a four-year degree, put together a four-year plan. I mean, I, I talk to families all day, every day about, you know, paying for college, and, and they're so focused on that first year, and it's like, okay, that's great, but you have three more of those, <laughs> you know? If, right. If, you know, so if, if, if you know you have $40,000 saved for college, then put together your plan and say, okay, am I going to pull $10,000 out each year out of savings? Or am I going to pull, you know, 30000 out the first year and ten out the second year and then try and figure things out for year three and four? That's not a great plan. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> you know, if, if your plan is uh, I'm going to pull some out and then the kid is going to borrow some and I'm going to borrow some and we're going to do a payment plan and this is how we're going to make it through these four years, that's your best case scenario. If, if, you, can, if you can see all four years and figure out how you're going to pay for it, that's your best case scenario. Right. And if you can't see all four years, then I think you really have to decide if this is the right school or if you need to look at alternatives, because hoping that you're going to make it work is um, generally a bad strategy. So far as I know, that is that is is a bad strategy. And I, I can tell you every year when I was a financial aid director, I would have at least one family come and sit in, in my office and say, OK, we just moved him into the dorm. Now, how do we get this paid for? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how it works. You figure out how you're going to pay for it first, and then you move them into the dorm. Exactly. Right, right. Tara? So I would say, okay, what you need to do is go back in time a year and, and talk to me then. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So when these offers start coming in in the spring, um, or maybe already now, now is the time to pick up the phone and talk to the financial aid officer at the school that your child is most interested in if you are concerned about your ability to pay. And you need to figure out a real plan and not just, well, we think we're going to make it work, but we're not really sure how. That is not a plan, as we've just discussed. Um, Tara, thanks so much for joining us today. This is really helpful information. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. All right. Well, when we come back, I'm going to be sharing details about our big contest to celebrate our 100th episode. Um, And we're also going to be talking about the rumor mill in our office hours segment. Uh, So don't go away. News. Opinion. Your 
voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, In just one minute, we're going to get down to those college admissions rumors as part of our office hour segment. But first, I promise details about our contest to celebrate our 100th episode. So here are the details. Um, So we are going to be giving away... One of our application uh, packages, our assistance with um, the application process, it's called Application Express. It's 10 hours of time um, with a member of our team, and it's very simple to order. Uh, order, enter. It's very simple to enter. You're going to go to um, our website, www.getintocollege, all one word, that's getintocollege.com slash 100. Um, you're going to fill out the form that's there. And you will automatically be entered as a result of filling out that form. The contest expires on Wednesday, January 18th. So you have from now until Wednesday, January 18th. But I would not wait. This is a really awesome prize. It's a $3,000 value. It is, um, you know, you'll get direct one-on-one time with um, a member of our team. And you've heard all of them on the show. They're all wonderful. They're all knowledgeable. Uh, and so we, uh, good luck to all of you. I hope one of you wins. Uh, anyway, let's, uh, go from that to our office hours segment. Um, I'm super excited to welcome back someone who seems to be on the show a lot lately when I'm on, which is always awesome <laughs> for me. And that's Kara Courtois, um, who works here with me at College Coach and is also a former Barnard admissions officer. Hi, Kara. Hi, Beth. Excited to be back. Thanks. 
Yeah, good. So um, thank you for joining us. So Kara and I were going back and forth before the show. Um, the, the whole idea for us with Office Hours is just what's going on right now in the world of college admissions or college finance that we think our guests might be interested in. And something happened a little bit earlier this week that got me thinking, hmm, maybe we want to talk about this. But um, a colleague of ours got an email from a student who had been deferred early action um, to Tulane. And the student was saying, hey, I got deferred, but I heard that all early action applicants got deferred because of the Tulane admission scandal. And so she was sort of saying, well, is that actually true? And I know that I immediately said, no, I don't know. I know that's not true because I know kids who got in early action to Tulane. Um, and then, of course, there were a lot of things flying back and forth about the Tulane admission scandal. And so, Kara, I would love, like, you know, we all just basically systematically dismantled the rumor by basically someone went onto the Tulane website, someone Googled it, and basically what happened was it does seem to happen at least once every year at one school, right, where they notify a group of students or in some way make them think they've been admitted, um, but it's all by mistake. And then they have to go back to those students and say, mm, sorry, we screwed up. You just shouldn't mm -hmm. have gotten that email. You're not actually in. Um, and, you know, so it's terrible, right? But it does mm -hmm. happen. And I think, um, but I think the better question, and I would love your thoughts on this, is how does Tulane, by mistake, emailing 130 students and making them think they may have been admitted, become, I heard they deferred all early action applicants? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Um, <laughs> And I think it's just like it speaks having, well, I, I can speak directly from having taught high school students and just being in the hallways that, mm -hmm. it's, you know, suddenly it goes from there's, a, you know, an inch of snow expected to it's a blizzard, you know. And no school for the rest of the week. You don't have to study for your math test, right? Basically. Totally. It's, it's just fun, you know, to, you know, uh, Ms. Courtois is out on a sick day to, you know, she's not coming back the rest of the year, you know. <laughs> like it just, yes, exactly. Um, and I, you know, I, as a high school teacher who loves to, you know, laugh with the kids, the teachers and I regularly receive that. <laughs> so, right, you know, exactly. Touche back at them, you know, so, um, so it's, it, that's what happens, but I think you know when everybody's on edge about decisions, like it just is free game, um, and that literally, you know, we saw things practically go viral, <laughs> you know, about um, this process. So yes, it is so unfortunate. But I, I, I have to say, and I, I just really was impressed with um, the letter that Tulane, you know, put out. It just seems so thoughtful. Um, when it, you know, it could have been just abrasive or just been, you know, um, matter of fact, you know, this is what happened right. and it's happened to other colleges that, um, you know, have laid down the law and it is what it is and it's the world we live in today. But right. Technology, right? Like who can figure technology? It could have been something like totally. that. Yes. Agreed. Totally. Yeah. I really, I was really impressed um, with the, just the, the thought that went into the letter, and I think it spoke a lot to, um, you know, what's what's been going on. So, uh, but it is unfortunate, and, 
Um, we'll never know. <laughs> you know, like a lot of things with admissions where we say, it depends. This is definitely one of those, we'll never know, you know, why decisions were made the way that they were and what the timing of things might have impacted right. all of that. And, and, you know, I have to say, one thing that I liked a lot about the letter was, to me, it, it made me feel like they, I mean, they really, they really, really acknowledged and recognized that they screwed up, but they also explained why they couldn't honor those acceptances. It just really wasn't possible. But I also felt like, I bet those, first of all, if you're one of those 130 students and you're listening, I I have a feeling none of this provides any consolation to you at all, and I really do appreciate Mm -hmm. that. But I I also think that if you can respond um, in as mature a way as possible Mm. to this, I I do feel like Tulane is going to give you an extra special close look. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you remain interested, if this whole thing doesn't turn you off Tulane completely um, and you remain in their applicant pool, I'm not saying that those 130 students are going to get accepted or even that half of them will be accepted. But what I am saying is that I think that they will make an extra effort to really, really closely evaluate their candidacy and, you know, if they possibly can admit them, my guess is that they will really try to do so um, if, it, mm-hmm. if it allows them to admit them and still meet their um, institutional goals. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, at so least true. that's what I, I got out of that letter. Um, yeah. And so, I think it's a great, you know, uh, not to segue completely, but I just think it's a great point that you made about any deferral, you know, yes. that how a student, you know, handles that um, also gives a cue, you know, to the parents, are they ready, <laughs> you know, for yes. the stresses that they might be taking on, um, because certainly, it, in my experience, it's been oftentimes the more selective the school, the more devastated a student gets um, by a deferral, which is not a deny. And, right. you know, how the student handles that says a lot to the, the school itself, Um Yes, and how the parent handles it, too, honestly. I had a few scenarios, not to, like you said, get too off topic here, but I had a few times when I was working at Penn where the student was deferred, and um, I was hearing from the parent, and it wasn't good, Um, and Mm -hmm. it was... Meaning, for me, it, it ended up being a couple times where that student went into the n- kind of the hell no category because this parent is really proving to be um, mm-hmm. not very pleasant to deal with. And this is just mm-hmm. a deferral. You know, what happens when the, you know, this is just not good. So, um, you know, everyone. So let's talk a little bit about some of the the more common rumors that we hear. Um, I think a big one especially when decisions, anytime decisions start coming in is, you know, I, I'll get a student in my office who says, well, I, I got deferred or I got denied. Um, they took this kid who was a legacy and they only take one kid from our school every year to this college or this college hates my school. They never take anyone and I shouldn't have even applied. You know, what, do you, what are some of the things that you say to your students when they come in with those kinds of comments or questions? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> yeah, usually I, I stop them for a second and, you know, say, well, let's kind of address first, you know, um, where this whole process started and why you chose that school to begin with, you know, and let's just backtrack to kind of that conversation that was probably six months old at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
you know, that, that, uh, you know, putting that part of the, you know, the unknown, because so much of what we do, you know, in discussing with families early on in the process is, is to say, you know, let's keep the focus on what you can control. And a big part of that is, you know, making sure the school's a good fit for you, both that statistically you should have a pretty good shot or have a shot, you know, yes. you should be able to throw your hat in the ring. Um, and that it's, you know, just an overall good fit that you'd be happy at if you were admitted and decided to matriculate. And that, you know, the things that we can't control are the other factors that, you know, the institutional priorities, what is that school, you know, looking to fill this year or geographically, you know, where are they looking to draw from and um, do they need, you know, uh, more students from specific disciplines? You know, all the things that you can't fit yourself into a box that you don't know anything, you know, that what the box is made of, <laughs> you know, necessarily. Right. So just be yourself. So I try to just bring them back to that early conversation so that it's not like rocks rubbing against each other, you know, or sticks or whatever the metaphor is, you know, that creating a spark, you know, I'm, uh, that's not going to help anybody. Um, and then to, you know, dispel the fact that it's just a waste of energy to speculate um, or to feed into the things that they have hurt. Um, right. And it's not going to help them moving forward. You know, I, I yeah. regularly say that to students. It's, it is what it is. And now we need to, to figure out. And as I, as we were just talking about before is, a lot of how they react right then, and I will call them out on that, you know, um, can, you know, uh, sort of feed into the next phase of the schools that they're still waiting to hear from and how, you know, they might uh, react or change their essays or whatever. They want to make sure that it's, you know, in their best interest and sounds like them and is not out of anger and frustration. Right. And yeah, and, and I mean, I, I, to your point, I think you, there's so much you can't control and there's so much you don't know. I always want to really underscore that with, su- with students. Mm-hmm. Hey, so uh, the student hasn't gotten in in the past 10 years to this college. Well, maybe there haven't been students who really were qualified or mm-hmm. in a given year, that just happened to be the year where they had 30 other students who looked a lot like um, you as or that applicant, and therefore it just wasn't particularly um, appealing to them in that given year. So there are a lot of reasons why students get in or don't get in, and it is almost never attributable to the school. In fact, I would say right. it's never the school, right? It's never the school. It is the student and how the student has taken advantage of the opportunities within the school and the school, the college is evaluating the student and not the school. So they need to let go of this idea that, oh, well, you know, such and such a school hates our, our students. They never admit them. They really mm-hmm. it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Not from um, the time that I spent in the admissions office or that any of my colleagues spent in the admissions office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, I, I think, um, yeah, sorry. No, I was going to say, you know, if a student had said that to me early on in the process before they even applied, you know, that I would say, you know what, well, if that, if you were feeling that sincerely or those words uttered from your guidance counselor's mouth, which I highly doubt, then Mm -hmm. this might be a great opportunity to invite, you know, admissions counselors or a counselor from that college 
to visit your school or, you know, just to reach out and connect a little bit more because, man, that could actually play in your favor, (laughs) you know, on some level. But help them to know your school better because if anything, if it's been a history of, you know, 10 years, to me that's a little bit of a sign that maybe they really don't know your school if you are all, you know, that we're assuming that you are. (laughs) Right. I think that's the big one. We're assuming that they were qualified applicants. Um, and that they have the correct information. So we only have another couple of minutes. So I guess, um, you know, we probably, you and I could go back and forth about all the different kinds of rumors that we hear flying around all the time. But, um, you know, any tips for recognizing a rumor or um, how you move forward to sort of get past the rumor? You know, I have some thoughts and things that I do. Um, I think that Tulane's example is a good one in terms of, um, we actually went right to the school's website, first of all, to find out, like, what is the scandal that this student is referring to? Um, and then we happened to have the experience of we all had students who had gotten in early action, so we knew mm-hmm. for a fact that that wasn't true. But, you know, if you're a family and you've applied, you won't be able to do that. Um, I think you can pick up the phone and call and say, yep. we heard this rumor, it seems kind of crazy, can you confirm or deny? And first of all, you don't have to give your name when you call, so if you're worried mm-hmm. that they're going to somehow attach that to your um, file, don't. Um, but also, no one would fault you for making a phone call like that if that's a rumor you heard. They're dying to dispel that rumor. They would love it if you called and you, they knew what the rumor was so they could say, hey, that's not true, and um, by all means, please go out and tell people that's not exactly what happened here. What mm-hmm. kinds of tips do you have for families in A, recognizing rumors and B, maybe dispelling them? Well, one of my favorites is using Naviance. You know, mm-hmm. if the school has Naviance, um, you know, if the high school has it, that just to say to the student, let's, well, let's look at the facts first, you know, in the sense if they're saying, you know, no one's been admitted for the last 10 years, which is a long period of time. Um, and, you know, Naviance maybe only has three to five years, but that's probably going to, you know, break apart their rumor immediately when you look, you know, at Naviance. And that's likely, you know, just a visual aid immediately to demonstrate. Um, I was absolutely going to concur that, you know, students can call if they can't find something you know, an article such as the one from Tulane, then, you know, they can always call or email and reach out. And they could also ask their guidance counselor to call if it seems like it's something that's spread, you know, among their peers, um, because that definitely would help alleviate a lot of wasted time and energy, you know, on the part of the, the students. But I really just try to get them off of that immediately, just like, you know, any sort of, um, human, you know, time in life where, rumors start and you think, what, what are we doing here? You know, what, what's the point here Right. to focus on yourself and the focus on your process and what needs to happen today to make your dreams, you know, possible um, at other institutions. And then, you know, and then let's figure out if it's a deferral, you know, what's the, what's the best way, you know, to approach that and, right. and to guide accordingly. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I need to cut you off because we are running long. And so actually, to your point about the deferrals, they we just talked about those in the episode we did last week. So people should definitely visit our archives. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. 
Um, so next week, Ian is hosting. We're talking about steps to take if you want to get your MBA, applying to medical school, and financial aid for mid-year transfers. We're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.